Hello, welcome to the Musics in Japan. A conversational podcast about daily life for an American couple living long-term in Japan. So lately I've been thinking a lot about sex work. Yeah? <laughs> Interesting viewing. Well, okay. So I should disclose and disclaim. So I have several clients who are sex workers, and I've had lots of sex work clients over the years. And I myself am a former sex worker. And for me, something I think that's really cool is that sex work is legal in Japan. Certain kinds of sex work. Yeah. So in Japan, all sex work is legal except for the direct exchange of money for penis and vagina sex. And so the only way that that happens... Between people who don't know each other. Yeah, between people who don't know each other. So the only way that that could happen is if I walk into a bar, I walk up to you and give you money, and then you stick your penis in me. Yeah. So there's... It's essentially all types are, are legal. Correct. And in Japan, you can sue anybody who has an affair with your partner if you're married for emotional distress unless they're having sex for business purposes. Interesting. Yeah. Your partner or the person they're having sex with? <laughs> the person that they're having sex with. Okay. You can still, I'm not sure if you can sue your partner. I didn't look into that portion right. of the law because I'm not interested in that. Right. I have no desire to be extramarital. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, the reason why I think it's cool, because I think sex work is so much safer when it's legal and so much healthier when it's legal. I think most things are. Yeah. So I think there's something with sex work being legal. You can go to your doctor and say, hey, I need to have my throat swabbed to make sure I don't have chlamydia of the throat. Mm hmm. And that prevents, that reduces the risk of throat cancer. So, like, in terms of health and in terms of what it takes to remain healthy and and get the type of medical care that you need, being able to disclose, hey, I do sex work, means that your doctor's not going to wonder why you keep getting your throat swabbed, swabbed for chlamydia. Good point. Yes. <laughs> and I know there used to be a brothel down the street from your therapy office. Yes. I forget what it's turned into now. But there is still a hostess club. There's no longer a brothel. There so there's, a there's, a t- there's, I think, like three or four towers of hostess clubs or snack bars yeah. in between. But that's, I mean, that is sex work, but that's something different. It's kind of akin to a strip club in the United States, I think. Yeah. Except I don't think, I think it's something more. So I worked as a stripper for many, many years. Right. And... I think that they don't do the dancing part, but they do the floor part of it, um, where you have to go around and talk to people and try and get them to buy alcohol. So it's basically just one big champagne room. Yeah, I've never been. I know people who have been who are like, well, yeah, I had to go for work or whatever. And Our son went. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> well, in a previous job, my boss said she and her husband went. Yeah. And then that was... When she decided that, no, she wasn't ever going to make people go for work. I was like, okay, good, because I always said no. <laughs> so the other part of keeping sex work safe is if people know that they can be prosecuted for harming you. Yes. And I think that's such an important part of it. Because I know when I was doing sex work in the United States, while I didn't do street sex work, I did club sex work and private referral sex work, there was still 
the risk of if this person hurts me, I have no legal ramifications. So there's no legal um, way to deter them from hurting me because everybody's going to everybody's going to say, why did you put yourself in this situation? Right. And then there were a couple instances when I was doing private shows that I felt very fortunate that I wasn't assaulted, that mm-hmm. I was able to get out of the situation. Not everybody is as fortunate. Well, my understanding is you usually took a bodyguard with you. Yes, who was strapped with a gun. Yeah. So <laughs> it's not a big mystery why I was safe. He's six foot two and built like a Mack truck and well paid and took really great care of me. And he was my employee. I wasn't his. And we weren't in a relationship, anything other than friends and uh, bodyguard work. So for me, that was really nice. But when I first started, um, my lover at the time, when I first started doing exotic dancing and exotic shows, my lover at the time would drive me and wait out in the car. And that was the only security I had. Mm -hmm. And so those days were really scary and high risk. I remember going to uh, one house and they're just being like, the most methamphetamines and cocaine I have ever seen at any one time. And they were just gapped high out of their mind. There was all kinds of guns and knives. And I was just like, ooh, I don't think I want to do a show here in this atmosphere. So I lied to them and told them I had left my sex toys in my car and I had to go out to get them. And they weren't wanting to let me leave to go get them. And I'm like... I'm not going to tell you which car is mine, and I'm not going to tell you where my driver is. You just have to let me go. Right. And they did, and we beat it out of there, and I remember them chasing the truck as we sped away. Uh It's terrifying. Give us our sex show. (laughs) Yes, to be clear, I hadn't taken any money. Yeah. So I didn't owe them anything, but they were just like, get back here. And I'm like, yeah, you raging chasing down the streets going to really make you want to go in your house, take my clothes off, and put myself in a sexually vulnerable position. Yeah, I mean, I think there's so much stigmatization of sex workers that that does make it legally difficult. Because you never hear, like, you know, somebody gets shot, and they're like, well, you were at a gun range. What did you expect? You already agreed to use guns, so somebody's shooting you. But I do think people of color do hear that, though. You were wearing a hoodie. You looked frightening. No, no, in public, definitely. Yeah, okay. I'm saying at a gun range specifically. Nobody blames people Mm. when when there's, like, a shooting at a gun range. They don't say, you brought that on yourself by going to a gun range. They're saying, like, a stripper show where sex acts are committed if someone then does penetration or something. Not agreed to. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's true. So, to be clear... I did everything. So I did everything from modeling to full-on sex acts. Yeah. So I don't have any issues with the fact that I was a sex worker. And I think some of my modeling was sex work as well. And for me, I believe that sex work is if you're doing something with the intention of enticement and being paid because you are enticing, that that is sex work. So for me, this might be controversial, I view Victoria's Secret models um, as sex workers, Mm -hmm. and most pop stars are sex workers. If you're out there thirst-trapping to make your money, you're doing sex work. Because you're paying, you're paying, getting paid based on your sexual desirability. Right. And basically getting paid because people want to masturbate to you. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And so just to me, it doesn't matter if you see the masturbate or don't see the masturbate. If you're going in with that mindset of I'm trying to create sexual desire, to me, it's sex work. Yeah, I would agree. I don't think that there are levels to sex work as far as whether it is or not. But mm-hmm. I do think that that where that line is drawn is so arbitrary and can differ for different people. Mm, I agree. I think that, you know, in the U.S., if it's stigmatized, it's probably sex work. And if it's not stigmatized, it's probably not considered sex work. But I think, like, you know, modeling for Playboy is sex work, even though it's just taking pictures. Well, I think everybody knows that Playboy's porn. Yeah. So I think all the Playboy bunnies, everybody knows they're doing sex work. Right. For me, as the Victoria's Secrets model specifically, I feel like uh, fashion models that are walking the runway with their ass cheeks bare mm-hmm. in see-through garments. Right. To me, how is that different than what a stripper does? Right. Because not every stripper does floor work. So not every stripper is rolling around on the floor. Well, but even every, if they are. Not every strip club has nudity. I know Correct. in California, where we were at, if there was alcohol, there was not nudity. Correct. And so I've done both, um, full nude and bikini. Mm-hmm. And I prefer bikini mm-hmm. because I find that for some reason you get paid way more when you don't get fully naked than when you do. You're getting paid for the anticipation. Yeah, and I think, because I remember that sometimes I would, like, dance a full set without taking my clothes off, mm-hmm. and sometimes those would be my highest banking sets. So we met at school. Yes, we did. <laughs> but you were stripping. Yes, I was. While you were in school. Yes. To be clear, like, contemporaneously. You weren't in school stripping. <laughs> in case anyone was confused about Gotta that. Gotta get those A's somehow. <laughs> but And you told me relatively quickly in our friendship what it was that you did yes i told everybody i'm a stripper so i remember the first time that you needed a ride from work and i went there to the strip club Mm -hmm. and the guy at the door told me what's a 20 dollar cover or whatever i forget what the cover was and i said i'm just here to pick up christopher and he's like you're her driver i said yeah i'm her driver And so they let me in with no cover. And I sat at the bar and I had a Coke and read a book. And the bartender came over. Some hot chick. I forget. (laughs) I think the bartenders at strip clubs are supposed to be hot chicks. but Or gruff dudes. Or gruff dudes. Yeah, but at this particular strip club, there was a policy that they only had uh, one dude that was a bartender. All the rest were hot chicks. Uh They really liked all the staff to be hot chicks. And she said, you're not even watching? I said, no, I'm just waiting to give her a ride. She said, wow, you are her friend. (laughs) Yes, that's why I'm here. Because I had had other friends come to pick me up from that club, and they would always be like wanting a table dancer, wanting to interact with the girls in some kind of way. Mm -hmm. And I had had sexual partners of mine come to the club and just be really turned on by the environment. And so... For us, it's business. Yeah. You know, I don't care what I don't care what anybody says. I stripped for a lot of years. It is straight up business. We're trying to make that money. So I came in while you were on stage, and this was shortly before you, you quit stripping. 
And the first thing I hear it, and I'm like, okay, I'm not great at faces, but I'm great at voices, <laughs> was, hey, fuckers, I see some of you fuckers out there watching me without tipping. Come tip me. <laughs> Come over here and throw some fucking money on the stage. And they yes. did. <laughs> I was not shy. You were not going to looky loo me. You better give me some money. <laughs> Yeah, and the girls loved working with me because I would yell at people if, like, if the stages were empty. Yeah. And I wasn't even up dancing yet. I would be like, hey, get your asses up to the stage. She is working. Pay her. Well, and and later, I think we'd gotten married by that point. We went to a friend of, a friend of yours' birthday because she was stripping for her birthday. She wasn't stripping for her birthday. She was stripping on her birthday. Stripping on her which birthday. Which, if you're a stripper, you always want to do. Because okay. you make the most money on that day. Yeah. And you said, you, you handed me half the money. And you said, you've got a tip, too. I was like, but... And you said, nope. Everybody's got a tip. Yeah. That's a bad example. Yeah. And so what I found to be funny is all the chicks that were trying to hit on you. Because we had fat stacks that day. Because we weren't just tipping her. Because I... I yeah. used to work no, at yeah, that yeah. bar. And so we knew most of the girls, but we were only tipping the girls that knew us. Right. And the girls would just use us to get a break and not have to be on. Right. And so they would come because at the at this particular club, all of the stools sit. The way you sit is that you're about midway. Your face is about right at crotch level, I would want to say. Uh-huh. And there's like this little trough kind of thing where the girls stand in front of you and dance and there's two stages that was the club just enough separation for legal purposes yeah barely um and so i always thought it was interesting like all the girls who were like trying to entice you and i would think that they are so bad at it because every good stripper knows if you see a man and a woman you flirt with the woman (laughs) like that's Stripping 101, flirt with the woman, you know, gay for pay, honey, come on, get with it. So to me, I wasn't offended. I was more like the stripper in me was offended rather than the wife right. in me. So I was like, girl, get a better hustle. Okay. Like, if you're going to hustle, I'm like, do it right. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm not doing this work anymore, but you could do this so much better. <laughs> yes. So for me, I enjoyed my time as a stripper. I think I probably stripped... A year longer than I should have. Mm-hmm. Um, the last year I was stripping, it really wasn't fun for me anymore. And the um, and by then I had faded out. I was sort of fading out everything because I want to say about three years before that, I had stopped all um, PIV, penis and vagina sex work. Mm-hmm. And I was just doing girl on girl sex work. Mm-hmm. And then probably about two years before I quit, I stopped doing girl-on-girl sex work mm-hmm. with, like, the occasional exception for really good money. And then the last year of stripping, I don't think I did any any um, additional work outside the club. I think I was really just down to one day a week where I was going and working one day a week because I had already started my own business. It was just so hard to let the money go. Yeah, so you were, you were doing therapy for kids. At the same time that you're stripping. And going to school. And going to school. Yeah, which is yeah. where we met. So, and I, I say, I think that's where a lot of the stigmatization comes in. Because I think that if the parents had known that you were doing sex work, some of them would have fired you. Oh, absolutely. Even though you were, in some cases, I feel like, literally saving your children's lives. Oh, absolutely. So that social stigma, I feel like it's just 
so damaging and so unnecessary. Well, and to me, I find what people do for a living to be the least interesting thing about them. Yes. I don't think that, like, to me, I don't care if you're a garbage man or a CEO. Like, if you're in my presence and you're good people and you're respectful, that's all I need, you know? Because I'm not trying to reach in anybody's pocket for anything. I've got my own. And so because I take care of my own needs, I'm not looking for people to fulfill a hole in me. I'm looking for people to enjoy and have fun with. Yeah, I know when when I was in Silicon Valley, I got very used to asking people, what do you do? Because I was a programmer and and I tried to switch to, you know, what do you love talking about? Yeah. And so I find that to be really tiresome. And something I find interesting, though, is that I find that my current clients enjoy knowing that I used to be a sex worker, even the clients that don't do sex work. Right. Um, They really enjoy that I lived a life and that I've had experience. And they enjoy the fact that I am pro-sex, pro-kink, pro-gender, just pro. I'm like, hey, you know, if you're not hurting anybody or if you're hurting somebody but you have their consent, because for me, consent is everything unless not consenting is your thing, but then you need to have consent not to consent type of thing. Right. So at some point in time, there always has to be consent. And I am grateful to all of my knowledge as that I gained as a sex worker for what consent means mm-hmm. because I was able to teach our son what consent means yes that if a woman is twitching and wiggling while you're touching her that's not consent Mm -hmm. you know that you need to stop and check in and i don't need to stop and say is this okay you need to set up an environment where they know that it's safe to say no yeah like just are you comfortable are you feeling good you know, there needs to be some type of verbal oral confirmation and for the people say that say that that would turn them off, I feel like then be turned off. Okay. Because if consent is a turnoff for you, then if enth- that's a turnoff for me. Okay. Because enthusiastic consent gets me going. Thank you, right? You want to hear, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and here, bring it, daddy. <laughs> Which I do not say. That's why right I picked on. that one because I'm <laughs> not giving you. anybody so our phrase. I was looking at you like, do not say what we say. This is private business. <laughs> So something that I think is really cool about you is that and something that surprised a lot of my so-called supposedly former friends was that you knew my history and married me anyway. Mm-hmm. So why don't I seem dirty and gross to you? Why isn't it embarrassing to you that I used to be a sex worker? I don't see why it would be. I mean, I used to do manual labor. Is that embarrassing to you? No, not at all. And I feel like that put me as as much risk as the sex work put you at. Yeah. So then I would be judging you for having sex. Yes. <laughs> you know, and if if I wanted to marry a virgin, then I would have been looking for a virgin to marry, which mm. is a weird obsession, I think. And if I wanted to marry somebody who had never made money from sex, then that's saying that there's like, it would have been better for you to just be having sex with lots of people for fun. Mm. I don't Which think it would I have did. been. Yeah, I don't think it would have been worse, but I don't think it would have been better either. So I think because I had come from 
developing a non a skill in a non-traditional way. So I learned to program by gaming. Mm-hmm. And then I came to California and made good money programming. Mm-hmm. I didn't see using whatever means you had to make money and exist as being anything that was worth shame. Mm. So for me, my views on sex work, I do have sexual abuse in my history, but that's not what led me to sex work. Mm-hmm. Um, what what um, informed my views on sex work is that my mother was a sex worker when I was growing up, and there was never in our home any stigma around my mother's sexuality. Right. And she didn't do very many things right, but this she did do right, is that she taught me that people's urges aren't something to feel ashamed of. It's what you do about those urges that is shameful or not shameful and that the only time what you do about those urges is shameful is when you harm another person so if your sexual desires don't harm anybody or don't harm anybody who doesn't want to be harmed right then there's nothing to feel ashamed of like masturbation is healthy and normal and if you need rent and you can go give someone a blowjob and get rent Mm-hmm. And you feel like going and give someone a blowjob to get rent, go ahead and blow them. And so I know this will be very controversial for some people. And she started telling me this kind of stuff way too young because she started talking to me about it when I was like three and four. Yeah, that's a little young. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't approve of the way that she introduced it to me. But I do like the fact that I don't have any stigmas about what people should and should not do with their bodies, that I'm really clear that it is their body. Right. And so, like, for me, I have piercings. I have tattoos. I have body adornment because it is my body, and I chose to adorn it, and I feel like because you're my life partner and you have to look at it, I do consult you. I don't just do random things. But I don't have to, you know, consult you. I consult you to be considerate. Yes. So I grew up very progressively. You grew up very conservatively because you're raised Mormon. Yes, I, I, think... I grew up hearing over and over again that 97% of people who get married as virgins stay married their entire lives. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is the first time you said this to me. I am learning something new right now today. What the what? My parents were very clear. We were both virgins on the night that we got married. Were they really? I think they probably were. So I said that and I say, okay, like, is. But were they really, or were they, like, what level of virgin do you think they were? Do you think they weren't, like, doing oral or butt stuff or any of that? Because I have an aunt who was a virgin on her wedding day, but she did butt stuff okay, up until so, her wedding day. So knowing what my dad was doing after my mom died and we were doing the Summer of Love tour, which is a whole other thing, mm-hmm. where he was literally, we literally drove from. Alaska through Canada through the United States and he asked every woman that he met on a a pre-planned route to marry him. (laughs) I I know that... I shouldn't laugh. That's so sad. There was probably, you know, a lot of groping and things going on before Mm. the the wedding. But I think as far as actually having sex, that probably was their first time. So, like, you don't think they even did oral? I don't think they even did oral. You think they just did digital stimulation? I don't know that they even did that. <laughs> but 
Let's, yeah, let's keep it moving. I'm sorry. I just got distracted by that. Right. So, but my parents got married in 1973. So my mother was raised Episcopalian. So she joined a church that explicitly said that black people were inferior to white people. Mm. And her parents said, well, we're going to disown you for this. Mm. But she was proud that she was a virgin when she got married. Uh, okay. Yeah. That so, makes sense. Like the difference there. It, was, it took me a long time to reconcile that there's a lot of stigma around sex that doesn't belong there. Mm. You know, and I was a virgin all through high school. I was a virgin until I was 20. And I don't have a problem with that, saying that. I was also abused. Yeah. And I was vulnerable to abuse because the you know, sex education I got from my dad was when I was 16 and already making out with my girlfriend and, you know. Finger blasting and all that good all stuff. All that good stuff. <laughs> all that wonderful stuff. The The whole talk was, you know about sex stuff, right? I said, yeah. Yeah, don't do it. <laughs> and that was the whole talk. Wow. And I was also naive enough that I was in eighth grade before I realized that balls and butt were not the same thing <laughs> and that's a tragedy that for your is own a tragedy. reproductive health yes you should have known you know that shocks me every time you say it i think it's so sad yeah so i was raised in complete ignorance mm. so but because i'm autistic maybe or just maybe it's my personality when i'm totally ignorant about something i just listen to the people who are the most open and the most loving and kind mm. well i think too, you had done a lot of reading yeah i had done a lot of reading because when i met you i met you when you were 23 you had already read the karma sutra yeah and i was so happy that we both thought that book was full of a lot of stuff we didn't want to do yeah <laughs> and i'd already gotten married once and was in the process of divorce yes and and you had already done some swinging yeah so you'd lived, you'd lived some by the time I met you, but did you go into that first marriage being as open as you were at the end of it, or did that marriage help open you up sexually, do you think? I think that ultimately I got married because she was the first person that I voluntarily had sex with. Mm. I and think so you I... still had some of that Mormonism kind of clinging to you a uh, bit? Absolutely. And I think being in Silicon Valley and seeing the, I think for me, it was the coercive nature of so many transactions. Mm, yeah. And not even talking sexual transactions, just talking the coercive nature of so much really opened my eyes to why should it matter if it's sex? So mm, I know that yeah. some people believe that like, you know, prostitutes, are being trafficked always or whatever and i think if that's yes, i was not trafficked no and i think if even if you believe that's the case what you should be attacking is the system and not the people being victimized by the system yeah so i should be clear i did have a short brief time in my life like a month where i had a pimp but then i was underage I guess technically that was a little bit of trafficking, but when I got older and decided to do sex work, it was eyes wide open and just because a girlfriend, a female friend of mine, not a girlfriend, because I'm pan, so yeah. I do have sexual girlfriends, um, 
told me, hey, you can make a lot of money because I'm a nudist, so I don't care about showing my body. And she's like, you don't care about showing your body? Well, you can make a lot of people pay you to look at your body. And I was like, what? And she was like, yep. And so I went down to the club, and then her and I started doing two real shows. And that's really where my sex work career began. Okay, so if you replace a few of those words, and uh-huh. I'm going to do that. I was having a conversation online with a friend, and this was before the invention of the web. So this was like the Internet's been around for more than 50 years. Yeah. We were having a conversation, and I was doing programming for fun for this mud. So, mm-hmm. And they said, hey, would you want to do this for money? And I said, I don't see why I wouldn't <laughs> want to do it for money. They said, you know, you can't make any money doing it the way you're doing it, but if you come to California, there are people <laughs> who pay you a lot of money to do this. Totally. And I said, yeah, I'd like that, but I don't have any place to live. They said, well, you know, if you come down here, I'll give you a place to live. Yeah. Introduce you to some people. And I always loved that. I thought it was so funny when I told you how I got into sex work in the first place and stripping and all of that. Um, that that was your response to me. And it always made me feel so loved and valued and understood. And like I could completely trust that you weren't ever secretly judging me. Mm-hmm. And in the over two decades that we've been together, you have never once called me a bitch, a slut, or a whore, a cunt, anything outside of my name. Yeah. And and we have pet names, but you've never ever used my past to demean me or try and make me feel less than. And I think that's one of the more beautiful aspects of our marriage and our relationship. Well, it's not that I'm holding myself back. It's that I really don't think it makes you less than. And that's, I think, one of the things that makes you a beautiful person. So I think you are truly one of the most beautiful people I've ever met inside and out. But your inside, as stunning as your outside is, your inside is just so much more beautiful than the outside. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you're just a really, really good person. Just really honest. And you really know yourself and what your morals and your values are. And so for me, the fact that your morals and values aren't oppressive is just such a a breath of fresh, fresh air to have somebody with what I think very high morals and very high-minded morals without being oppressive with them. I think my morals mostly center around not being oppressive. I think because of the way I grew up, I often felt coerced into things I wasn't comfortable with. Mm. Sometimes it was, you know, just like spend me my weekend building cabins for the Boy Scouts. Mm. Like the Mormons are... Uh, and not all of them, but many of them are really big on having young men do construction labor for free, and then they get paid for that labor. That's shady. Well, and the fundamentalist Mormon church is worse on that. So the fundamentalist Mormon church, they estimate there's a 30% mortality rate among the boys. Wow. Like, they have just, you know, boys from 10 and up doing construction work that they don't get paid for that there's no safety standards, that a lot of them are seriously injured or die. Mm. So I grew up in a very coercive environment. Almost everything was coerced. I felt like I was coerced to go to school. You know, I graduated at 16, and they asked us at the end to give a talk about what it was, and I was like, you know, I was forced to do all of this. I was coerced to go through school. I did not have a good time in high school. I made good friends, mm-hmm. but I did not have a good time. So I think when I... When I'm thinking about things, what I'm thinking about is, is it coercive? Mm-hmm. And, and if it is, who's doing the coercing? So, and what I saw with you was that you didn't want to be doing the stripping anymore when we met. Yeah. But I know a lot of people who hated their jobs. Yeah. 
One, two, I was saving up to, I was saving up a down payment for a house. Right. And so that last year, because when we met, I was seriously like six months away from having the down payment. Yeah. And so for me, it was a means to an end. And I feel like the opportunity to go to school, being a single mother, and start my own business while saving to buy a house, that was a privilege that sex work afforded me. Yes. And, you know, when we met, I gotta say, maybe there's like one or two people I still had sex with for money, but I'm not sure. I don't think so. But the fact, all of the people that did pay me for sex, they were directly responsible for my ability to have that down payment. Right. You know, because everything else went to food and clothes and shelter and vehicles and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So Life. Yeah. So I think sex work for the right person for the right reason is a really positive thing, male and female. I don't think it has to be a negative thing. And did I enjoy every sexual encounter? No. Did I have an orgasm every sexual encounter? No. But... I did get paid. I think I think of it like my programming work. I'm a really, really good programmer, but it's also really bad for me. Yeah. It it leaves me like a wreck. So I think that sex work isn't going to be for everybody. Some people, it, it's going to make a wreck of them. Yeah. You have to really, really be clear about why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. I found that the people who had clarity for why they were doing it tended to fare better than people who just kind of fell into it and didn't really have a plan. And for me, specifically, an exit plan. Yeah, because you you had a plan. Because when, yeah. when I met you, you were already enacting your plan. Yes. And that was one of the things I admired about you as my friend is, is how ambitious you were and how much of your plan you were putting into place and, and how many of your friends you were bringing along if they wanted to and had the yeah the skill and the willingness to learn thank you i was surprised by how many people just said no Mm -hmm. like you know when you talk to them about investing and when you talk to them about saving and when you talk to them about good money versus bad right like for me i didn't drive a fancy car i had a piece of crap van and i looked at it as i got this really cheap van because i want to own a home right And so for me, it was like, yeah, I can go and have all kinds of Gucci and Prada and all these name brand things, or I can shop at Payless and own a home. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was everything, or I can own a home. And I was very much always saying that to you. Like, I could do this or I could own a home. Like, I'm trying to save money. I'm not trying to spend on this. And We we spent a lot of time at Ross Dress for Less. (laughs) Yes, we did. Me and my fellows. So for me, I feel really great that I was able to then take the majority of the down payment for that I was saving and buy you a really beautiful wedding ring. Which I still have. Yes. <laughs> you would want to. Yeah. <laughs> All that platinum. So I'm saying that money is still technically there. <laughs> so I like I really liked the fact that you know, you've never asked me to not talk about being a sex worker. And I'm really proud of the fact that our son has never asked me not to talk about being a sex worker. Mm-hmm. Now, when he was in elementary school, I didn't go around talking about the fact I used to be a stripper. Right. 
Um, and when we first moved to Japan, I didn't, it's not like I go around talking about it, but if it's relevant, I know that I can use my discretion to mention it or not. Yes. And you know that it's an issue that comes with stigma. Yeah, I do. So that I think when people are coming to see you, mental health is also an issue that comes with a lot of stigma. Yeah. So I think there's that kind of that trust barrier there and that saying, you know, I was stigma. I, I have something stig- stigmatizing about me, too, can really help break that down. Well, and something interesting is I find that now that I'm fat, which I'm fat, I own that. I don't pretty up the language. Not everybody will like the term fat, but I'm calling myself fat because that's how I identify. So now that I'm fat and I'm older, people kind of admire that I used to have like this wild, wild west kind of lifestyle and be super racy. But you lived it up while you had it? Yeah, like rode it to the wheels fell off and they tend to have that view also about my history with drugs Mm -hmm. because when before Rasta was born, I would go to parties and people would tell me, open your mouth, and I wouldn't just let them flick whatever drug they wanted to into my mouth. People could say, hey, snort this, and I would just snort it, and then be like, what I just do? What's my trip? And mm-hmm. I didn't really care. Yeah, I was really pro-drugs. Um, I'm not proud of that. It's just a fact. And so they look at that as just being colorful, and historic because it was more than two decades ago. It's almost three decades ago right. that I'm talking about. So when they say that, you know, porn is forever and prostitution sex works forever, it's not if you get out of it and then, you know, have some, if you get out of it, have your life together. People I have found are willing to come meet me on my terms. And so I think for- part of that is that you own your own business. So I think there are still industries like school teaching, for example. Mm, yeah. Where just knowing that somebody has a history can get them fired. Which I think is ridiculous and oppressive. I think so, too. Uh, so, yeah, I guess it is because I am my own boss. Yes. And, mm, yeah. So maybe it's confirmation bias. because. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah, good point there. I think it's like being being something other than you know heterosexual yeah it's safe for you to say you're pansexual yes but that doesn't mean that it's safe for everybody i think it's so cute when i meet a client and they don't really know me yet Uh and they slip casually slip into conversation i'm a lesbian or i'm queer and there's like or I'm Pan, or I'm Polly, like something that they think is going to shock me and they try to slip it in but the moment they slip it in they all of them have like the same look of like, okay, no reaction. And then they'll slip it again. They're like, okay, no reaction. And then they'll slip it in again. And sometimes they just come straight out and say it. And like, are you okay with it? Because they don't think I'm registering it. And well, I'm like, because when I was growing up Mormon, if somebody said something like that, you just let it go because you're like forgiving them for it. <laughs> you're, you're ignoring it. You're refusing to hear it. So I think there can be a, a difference between hearing it and accepting it implicitly and and hearing it and pretending not to have heard. Yes. And so for me, when they do that, I think it's, it's sweet. The reason I don't say anything is because I let them go through their process. Right. Because if they're coming out to me, everybody deserves to be able to come out in a way that makes them feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. So I don't push and I don't laugh. I just think, okay, right on. You're trusting me with this. And 
move on from there. And then as they get to know me and they start to learn about my history, because I don't do tabula rasa. I don't do a blank surface. I do bring Christopher to the therapy session. Right. And do let them know because I believe that everybody has biases and there are certain biases I hold, like I'm really pro-marriage. I'm really pro-couple staying together if there's no abuse, mm-hmm. if they can do so healthily. Mm-hmm. Um, I love love. I yeah. just love love. And I think one of the main reasons why I love love is because of how much I love you. Aww. And <laughs> And for me, our love just provides so much stability for me and so much, much happiness for me. So that's a bias that I like people to know. And for me, the purpose of talking about the fact I was a sex worker is it's my little part of destigmatization. Yeah. Because I think that sex should always be legal if there's consent. Um, And I think adults should be able to do whatever they want with their bodies. It's their bodies. And for me... I know it's controversial, but I feel like even heroin should be legalized. Mm -hmm. And I know that that's like a really hot button. Don't send hate. It's my opinion. You're not going to change it. And I'm sorry if you've lost anyone to heroin. I have lost loved ones to heroin. But I believe that they had the right to choose to put heroin into their body if they wanted to. Because Mm -hmm. it is their body. I don't feel like my body belongs to anyone other than Christopher. And because my body belongs solely to me, I should be allowed to do with it what I will. Yes. And the law should support that. It should. And that's why SESTA and FOSTA suck and should be repealed. Yeah. (laughs) And... So specifically, I just want to touch on our son. He knows that we're doing this discussion for this podcast, and he's totally cool with it. So if you do know our son, Rasta, and you go up to him and you try and shame him about anything you hear us talking about on the podcast, not going to work. No. So I am being a responsible parent. (laughs) So why did you want to talk about this subject? Why were you open to it? I'm open to it because I'm not ashamed of anything about our relationship. Mm. And I I mean, I think it's important that people know positive examples of people who are just open about it. I think if it's something that you say, oh, you can recover from sex work, that's still stigmatizing it. Yes, it is. So I think that it's important to talk about. I think so, too. So... That's our cast for today. Thank you for listening, and we hope you tune in again next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. You can keep the conversation going on our website at themusicsinjapan.com. That's the music spelled M-U-S-I-C-K-S. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at The Musics on both. And if you'd like to support us, please visit our website to sign up for our newsletter, join a Patreon tier, or send us a one-time donation through PayPal or Ko-fi. We hope you'll listen again next week. Bye.